0: Alright is this thing on? Oh yeah. Alright so this is a podcast, obviously a rough one without start, but either way my name is Grace and I will be the person speaking to you for the next undetermined amount of time and hopefully telling you some interesting and enlightening things. This is the first time I've ever really done something like this. I literally just learned how to use my microphone and garage bands like in a 15 minute YouTube tutorial right before I did this, but Podcasting is new to me, so bear with me. I had this idea to start podcasting, I guess, because it is really the only thing that is keeping me sane at this point in time. They really tell you to make a passion or a life out of what you enjoy doing, and what I enjoy doing is listening to podcasts. And I suppose that this is me taking my shot at that. Um, at this point in my life... Who cares, I will try anything. Um, I pretty much constantly have a variety of people whom I have never met before, speaking into my headphones at all hours of the day, telling me about things that I think are interesting. Sometimes these things are extraordinarily mundane or just within that spectrum in between. So my idea here is to call this my research project. Is this a stupid name? Maybe, don't wanna hear opinions? Absolutely not. It's my podcast, I'm gonna do whatever the heck I want. This may change in a couple months, who cares? Who knows? We'll figure it out later. Um, My idea for this is to talk about a variety of things, possibly maybe a thing a week, maybe an episode, who cares? These things are gonna be things I'm interested in, probably such as true crime is the main one. That's really what I take in at all hours of the day and what fuels my fire. I could also maybe talk about monsters and scary stuff. Some diseases are super interesting. I have a lot of plants. Maybe I'll talk about those. Travel history. Who the heck knows? That is what I have written down on this paper in front of me. It's my podcast. I'm going to do what I want. They're your ears. Listen to what you want. Listen or don't. That's on you. It's your prerogative. Either way, I've also been tossing around the idea of maybe having a friend or two, a guest, if you want to call them a fancy term, this guest fancy term, maybe me, my friends who have a variety of interests, um, some guy I'm looking at right now falling asleep in my parking lot, maybe him, he might have something cool to say, we'll see how it goes, um, they're going to present, air quotes, you can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes, their idea, their passion, something they heard on the news the other day that they want to tell everyone about, and we are going to talk about it, um, I may throw this away in a couple months and cry in a corner because I lost my passion for audio media. But who knows? Anyway, let's get this first little segment started. I was unsure what I should do for my first project. See what I did there? Um, so I chose something that I have a borderline unhealthy obsession with, and that would be true crime. It infiltrates my everyday life and my father thinks it's rotting my brain and making me paranoid, which is probably true. Too bad I'm 22, Jared, and I get to do what I want. I recently was watching Netflix, as we do, and I was kind of super hungover and it was raining and I needed something I could really binge. I saw that Netflix dropped a series and it was called The Watcher. You've probably all heard of it. And it looked pretty decent, had a decent looking cast. I am in love with Jennifer Coolidge and how she plays pretty much the same character in every role. She was my favorite like busty feisty lady in Two Broke Girls, if any of you guys watch that. Might still be on TV, might not. She should probably look into that. Um, I think my mom thought she was super offensive because she was just like this big breasted lady who just told everyone what she thought, which is inspiring. Naomi Watts and that weird guy from Jumanji, whose name I looked up in is Bobby Cannibal, looks exactly the same in every movie he plays in. We're in it too, no offense Jennifer Coolidge, you're cool. Uh, I watched the first couple episodes and then I ended up watching the rest of the episodes and they were pretty good. The next day I kind of meandered into work as I do and I was chatting with my lab gals and one of them who is also apparently addicted to true crime, mentioned that this was based on a true story. And then I was so shook. This thing got so much better than I thought it was. The opening credits or description probably mentioned that. But as you may find out, I cannot watch TV. I will get so distracted. I will find literally anything else to do. And I think that's why I like podcasts so much because I can wander around and do stuff like I'll wander around and water my plants or do my dishes or clean my room and if I'm listening to a podcast that's totally fine I could do that but if I'm watching tv I just missed half of the show and I know what's happening in my ears but when I like look back at the tv I see this face in front of me and I'm like who the heck is this who is this person and apparently it's the main character but I just never knew what they looked like or like I forgot that this show was Shot in some fancy artsy way that I don't really care about. Anyway, tangent or back. Either way, um, I was hooked after I figured out that the Watcher Netflix phenomenon was based on a based loosely based on a true story. So then I spent a couple solid hours of my company time. If you work with me, I'm joking. I would never ever ever waste com- precious precious company time um researching the actual watcher house what it was based on again um and then come to find out this real source real story is kind of legit i mean it's super legit because it actually happened but it's much less sinister obviously than all the crazy stuff they portrayed in that netflix documentary but it is still super duper interesting um and that brings us here to me starting out my super epic era of podcasting with my research my research project of the watcher house then i kind of like thought about this doing this as my first subject because it's relevant i guess right now and it's pretty recent so it's there's a lot of, a lot of information out there on it And then I got kind of nervous. I was like, wait, this is the stupidest idea I've ever had. Why would I start a podcast? Nobody wants to hear your voice. Nobody likes your voice. But honestly, who gives a shit? I'm just going to talk about this. And now I will half-heartedly present you with my first ever research project, The Watcher House at 657 Boulevard so if you've watched the watcher on netflix it seems like much of us have i think it was sitting up there in that little top 10 category that snags us in every once in a while um but if you've watched the show the show starts out with this family who moves into this monstrosity of a home and goes into some significant financial debt which i hope other people experienced how like Anxious that made me seeing these people dump like their IRAs and stuff into this loan for this home Either way, they immediately move into this house and get a letter and begin to experience some creepy situations around their house This show I think really starts to take some creative liberty and the term loosely based comes into this very accurately where the family experiences a lot of kind of creepy things happening in their house They have some weird, spooky neighbors lurking around. And the show even makes like an odd John List reference, which we'll come back to later. But come to find out after I read about this, the show The Watcher actually kind of sticks and really just amplifies what actually happened at the real 657 Boulevard, which I will now tell you about. So picture this. A cute little family consisting of Derek and Maria Broadus, plus their three children, aged five, eight, and ten years old, move into this big old six-bedroom, $1.35 million home built back in 1905 in Westfield, New Jersey, which I wrote is about like 45 minutes out of New York City. Um, the city of Westerfield is rated as the 30th safest city at the time in the U.S. by the neighborhood scouts, which sounds like a pretty credible source to me. And the median household income at this place, in this town, is $159,923, which is pretty freaking high. So it's a pretty ritzy place. The house is also only blocks from where Maria us, the mother slash wife, grew up which sounds like an American dream. This woman is moving back to the hometown, pretty ritzy place. They probably have a Trader Joe's. Sounds crazy. However, Westfield is not the American dream. For another family, as we'll find out, it is also where the family annihilator John List, who I mentioned before, murdered his wife, mother, and three of their children. So we have some dark tales in Westfield, New Jersey. And as the Broadest family begins to move in during the June of 2014 to their brand spanking new old house, they're kicking the renovations and kind of moving all their stuff in. The house is bustling and the family is excited for the new chapter of their life. One day in June, Derek, the father, goes out to check the mail and finds an envelope without any recognizable postage, no return address, or stamps addressed to, quote, the new owners in handwritten writing. When he opens this letter, it starts, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. She's pleasant, charming, kind of creepy. The letter then starts to get a little more nefarious and states, Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? And 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been in charge with watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched the house in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out, end quote. It also then goes, Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children. Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me." There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am one. Look out all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the windows of 657 Boulevard to the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. So creepy obviously if i found that letter in my mailbox i would set that mailbox ablaze first things first it is reassuring at this point that he does not know the family's name and addresses them as like dear new owners which spoiler alert is going to change pretty quick second i thought it was odd for him to mention the home's second coming He mentions himself as being the third person after his grandfather and his father to watch over the house. So, like, what is this second coming? What was the first coming? Third, it sounds like the men in his family have a very strange obsession with this old house and need to find better hobbies, like pick up fishing or golf, like all the other old dudes around here. Um, Also, the author, who I notice I keep referring to as a him, and I probably will keep referring to him as a him, which he could he see there the watcher could have many other pronouns could be different pronouns i'm sorry but let's be honest this is probably a creepy old man doing this so i'm gonna probably keep saying him um but he says he will call to the children and quote draw them to me it is odd how he keeps seeing to talk as the watcher but it is also seeming to kind of talk as himself as a single entity with this house either way Finding out what lies within the walls of the broadest's new home seems like something they probably don't want to figure out or do want to figure out. I don't know how freaky they're feeling. Unless it's black mold and the inspector missed it, they might want to just leave that problem for a different day. Either way, Derek does a smart thing here once he receives this letter and opens this letter and he does what people in horror movies tend to not do and he calls the police The police come, and they question Derek as to if he has any idea who would write him this letter, enemies, the works, and they read through this letter. Some sources say that one of the officers literally had a, what the fuck is this, reaction to the letter, um, which is completely understandable, and I'm glad that he also felt this way. The the officer also apparently told the very shook Derek to move any construction equipment lying around the house inside the house in case the watcher got ballsy and decided to throw said Milwaukee drill through the window, which I don't understand because like Iraq would do the exact same thing. Derek then also pulls another smart move and emails the previous owner, who are the Woodses, to ask them if they had ever received any of these sinister letters. To his surprise, the Woodses report that they in fact did receive a letter a couple of days before they were about to move, but had not received any prior letters in the 23 years that they inhabited 657. The Woods family always felt that they, quote, never felt the need to lock the doors, and end quote, and toss the letter they received without much afterthought. The police instruct Derek to not discuss the letter with anyone, including their neighbors, as they do not have a single clue who this watcher could be. Two weeks go by, and Maria, the mother, did the usual trip out to the mailbox, and much to her disdain, discovered another letter, this time addressed to the broadest family, except their surname was spelled incorrectly. From this, it seems the watcher was hearing all this information verbally and not, like, doing his research, as I have so not done for this podcast. Um, and just as, like, hearing them get called the Broadest family tell me, like, like, the construction workers or other families in the neighborhood and has never actually seen how this name is spelled since he wrote it wrong. But either way, this letter reads... Quote, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpsters a nice touch. Have you found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. He then continues to share details about the three children of the family. One of the main things he mentions is an easel that their daughter uses frequently, as she's a little bit of an artiste, as they say. Um... This easel was positioned in such a way on their porch that the watcher couldn't have been able to just see this easel from the street. The person would have had to been on like the side of the house or in a neighboring home to see this easel. This obviously would have been freaky to know that A, this dude is either creeping around your house, lurking around in like your bushes and shrubberies, or B, the watcher was a neighbor or posted up in your neighbor's house to see your daughter on this easel all the time. The letter then continues to suggest that children may be in danger and it says, "If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream." End quote. Also, it says, quote, "657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in, and it has been years since the young blood has ruled the hallways in this house. Have you found all the secrets it holds? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone?" I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far from the rest of the house, and if you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in, it will help me to know who is in which bedroom, then I can plan better. All the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and I've been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you too, you are too, the broadest family. Welcome to the project, product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have, have a happy moving in day. I will be watching. So lots to unpack here. Obviously, the watcher has been doing what his name says. Watching. He has been lurking around watching the family move their stuff into the house angry about obviously something maybe that dumpster that he seems to have a sour taste in his mouth about he mentioned the walls again and i think it's definitely mold i'm just kidding but in all seriousness i am super curious about what is meant by all these references to items in the walls i don't know if this was me if i was the broadest family i would be taking my stud finder out i would be busting down some drywall because there is something in these freaking walls that they need to figure out what is going on either way the letter definitely seems to be more focused on the children too and how they're like interacting with this the quote secrets of the house um one of the main things they mentioned from these letters is the fact that the watcher also now knows the children's names and their birth order and i'm not just talking they're like government given names they are talking like childhood nicknames Which made them kind of speculate that the watcher would have been like close enough like within earshot to hear the family like call each other these things because how else would he know these kids nicknames and what order they were born because these kids are kind of close in age like he might not be able to tell this by like just looking at them this paired with the easel fact gave the family a good reason to fear this nefarious letter writer and think he was kind of lurking around their house the police and the Broadest family did also have a little scare that maybe the watcher had the house bugged and maybe he was like listening from within the house instead of outside the house, but none of these were confirmed. The Broadest family also then put a quick pause on their move into 657 for good reason and stopped taking their children around the new house. A few weeks after the second letter arrived and the family had stopped moving into the home, a third followed. This letter noted that the Broadest family is decreasing time in their new home by asking, quote, why have you gone, End quote, in references, quote, the time I, when I roamed the halls, End quote, and when his father watched the house. This um, caused speculation over whether the watcher had been inside or around the home when he was a child. The letter also threatened violence on the Broadest family if they caused harm to the home, The family was obviously suffering from some mental distress after these letters just kept coming. Derek was reported to be very depressed and suffered from insomnia. Maria was diagnosed with PTSD, and the whole family endured a very understandable sense of paranoia daily. Even though the financial situation was not as dire and dramatic as it was portrayed in the Netflix series, if you have watched that, it is an absolute fiasco um the actual broadest family did just dump 1.3 million dollars into this house and that is not something you can easily just kind of return there also have been unfortunately no breaks in the case at this time even though the police presence is noted throughout this probably because this is kind of an upper class neighborhood um however the broadest family and the police specifically detective leonard lugo had their eyes on a few people as suspects. Derek even goes as far as hiring a PI and consulting an FBI agent, who he was on a school board of trustees with, to look into the motive as who would have written these letters, which is so suburban that you have an FBI agent on your little school board parent-teacher conference. Former FBI agent Robert Lenahan was also consulted to look at the letters, and he determined that the letter writer was probably an older person based on their vocabulary and the fact that these letters, because they were typed, double-spaced behind the period instead of single space, which is what I learned in school, but maybe they're teaching kids to not do that anymore? Very confusing, but either way, that is what he deduced. Um, There were also rumors of a teenage kid snooping around 657, maybe some of Derek's ex-work partners, previous buyers, Maria's past lovers, and various neighbors who kind of made that little list of suspects. The first suspects, and probably the most notable ones, were the Langfers. This neighboring family consisted of Peggy and her middle-aged children, who all lived in a neighboring house to 657. Her son, Michael Langford, is described as a harmless old man and never caused any issues, according to other neighbors. However, Derek has had kept a keen eye on Michael Langford as his main suspect after he hears that Michael has been known to wander through yards and peek into windows, and he also was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, this neighbor would also have had a view of that previously mentioned easel situation on the porch, which pretty suspicious. Police questioned Michael after the first letter, but he was quickly dismissed by law enforcement and some claim that Michael wouldn't have even been capable of writing the letters. Derek um, then takes matters into his own hands and gives the Langford notice that they plan to demolish 657. Since the watcher seems to care so deeply about this house, he thought that maybe if he told them that they were going to tear it down and only the Langfords, that they would get kind of another letter being like, please don't do that but they receive no answer or reaction from the watcher female dna was also found on one of the watcher letters so a daughter of the langford's abby langford came into question but her dna was tested and found not to be a match another suspect is known as the gamer around 11 p.m one evening a car stops outside and outside 657 And the police happen to be surveying the home at this time. They trace this car back to a woman who lives on the same block as the Broaddus family at 657. Her boyfriend is known is reportedly into, quote, dark video games and played under the tag of The Watcher. Um, This is pretty sus, but also dark video games is probably pretty much any video game that these people think people are playing. But his tag as The Watcher is a little weird and this man never showed up to any of the interviews requested of him and the police didn't really have any real non-circumstantial evidence so this man was never questioned one of the more interesting theories into who the watcher was pointed the finger right back at the bronze family some locals believe the family were in over their heads financially with their new home pointing out that it was a large jump in cost from their previous homes one resident of Westfield told The Gothamist, quote, how can a couple with the $300,000 house in Scotch Plains and a $175,000 mortgage 10 years ago have a $1.1 $1. 1 million mortgage, end quote. This neighbor seems a little too invested, pun intended, in the broadest' financial business. And I don't really know how he knew this, but Maria was from a wealthy family kind of already. They already lived in Westfield. And Derek came from a humble beginnings in Maine, reportedly, and even worked his way up kind of by himself as to be like the VP of his insurance firm. Some also thought it was suspicious how the family continued to renovate at 657, even after they made a show of stopping their move in after the letters kind of spooked him out. News publicity and movie deals that surfaced after word of the watcher got out did not also help the broadest family's image in the eyes of their accusers. They thought they were just doing this for clout in, you know, whatever terms. After three watcher letters and only circumstantial evidence on who the watcher may be, the family decides to put 657 back on the market after six months of silence from the watcher. The broadest family show the watcher letter to serious potential buyers for a couple years, but they only seem to scare these buyers off. Super not surprising. The family even tried to sue the Woods family, the previous owners, for not disclosing the letter they received days before selling it to the Broaddus family, but this is quickly shut down due to, you know, legal reasons. A reporter also finds excerpts of the Watcher letters, which, of course, leaked to the internet, causing a media media frenzy if selling this house was not going to be hard enough already. After many unsuccessful attempts to find a new owner for 657, the Broadest family comes up with a plan to demolish the home, split the land into two lots, and sell them individually. The planning board denies this proposal in spring of 2016 after a four-hour planning meeting as the two 67-foot-wide plots were a measly three feet short of the minimum for like a lot length. Um, This is met with some suspicion after the home in the same neighborhood was granted an exception in 2018. The family is obviously upset and frustrated that they cannot get this giant investment off their hands that is super spooky. And with this emotional and financial burden, Maria is quoted as expressing, quote, the house is more important than we are, end quote. Really, finally, comes to the broadest family in the form of another family willing to rent 657 under the stipulation that if a letter was received from the watcher, the tenants could move out of the home without penalty, which is a great way to get out of a lease. Either way, to no one's surprise, a fourth letter was received in 2016, and this one comes in a slightly different tone, addressing quote to the vile and spiteful Derek and to his wench of a wife Maria. End quote. Then is signed off with, quote, I'll hail the watcher, end quote. He also praises the soldiers of the boulevard for following his orders and throws around how terrible accidents such as car accidents, fire, a mild illness that never seems to go away, death of a pet, or even bones breaking could occur after the family kind of threatened to demolish the home in that planning meeting. The renters are appeased when the Broadest family installs more security cameras as the police were still at a loss for who this watcher could be. The Broadest family takes yet another blow when neighbors start receiving letters around Christmas from, quote, friends of the Broadest family that turn out to be Derek himself. He justifies sending these letters due to a lack of closure in the case and scrutiny received from the community via Facebook in 2017. In July of 2019, the house at 657 Boulevard was finally sold for $959,000 and the family is no longer burdened by this home. As far as we know, the watcher was has chosen to cease writing since his string of letters to the Broaddus family. Even though the watcher has gone silent, Derek Broaddus quotes, We still think about this every day. Alright, well... That was my first little snippet of research and tossing my opinions around about this case. Um, I thought this was really interesting just because it did kind of recently blow up on Netflix. And I guess it probably did blow up in news articles back in like 2015, whatever, when this was all happening. But it was super interesting to kind of like read back and see what parts of the show actually stuck to what was actually happening and what parts they kind of dramatized a little bit. Um, The show's pretty good. I'm not going to plug it because Netflix, you know, they do well enough by themselves. But the story was definitely an interesting read if you kind of want to like look into it. There's definitely some cool articles. Um, The main sources I had for all this was a... All this interesting article called Inside the Spooky Quote Watcher House That Terrorized a Wealthy New Jersey Family. Um, a couple of YouTube videos, one by Cadaver called The True Story of the Watcher, The Story of 657 Boulevard. A Buzzfeed Unsolved video called The Eerie Story of the Watcher. Another article on today called The Watcher, Read the Real Creepy Letters That Were Sent to the broadest Family. This one was by Elena, I'm gonna butcher this, Nikalu. Um, and a Marie Claire article called The True Story of the Watcher, explained by Quincy LaGarnier. I am so bad at pronouncing names, so I'm super sorry about those. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of resources out there if you kind of want to look into these things. Um, I kind of did a little research, I'm kind of sorry, gonna try to get better at this, but this was super interesting and I had a really good time kind of looking into these things and looking into kind of the actual facts and digging through this stuff. I definitely probably got some stuff wrong, which feel free to call me out or at least be nice about it. I will cry and I I will definitely post a video of that because I have no shame. But anyway, thank you for uh, listening to this. If you did, i probably edit this out eventually, but this was my first little shot at this and I had fun. So I'm probably gonna do it again, but Either way, thank you for listening. Love you all. Bye-bye.